Judge Jeanine Pirro. She's the outspoken host. Judge Jeanine Pirro is dominating the headlines right now. Tunnel to Towers Foundation presents the Judge Jeanine Pirro Show. Now, here's Judge Jeanine Pirro. Welcome, everyone, to the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. I hope everyone is enjoying their day so far. It's a wonderful Sunday here in New York City. And as always, we're armed and ready to serve justice with all my great listeners here on the Red Apple Audio Network. It is a truly beautiful day. It's a sunny day. Uh, and I hate that we're we're coming to the end of August. I hate when summer starts to come to an end uh, because I love the summer. I love the hot weather. I love the heat. People don't like it. I love it. But uh, that's just the way I'm made. But uh, there's so much that happened in America this week. Uh, as always, there is the issue of the government going after Donald Trump. We still have the issue of that. A search warrant that was served in Mar-a-Lago when they went in guns a-blazing and decided to go into the president's residence, the former president's residence, and went into Melania's closet as well. There was a hearing this past week on Thursday where the news organization said, hey, we'd like to get a copy of that affidavit. We'd like to know on what basis the judge signed a warrant to go into the home of a former president of the United States, something that's never been done in this country ever. And so they had a hearing on Thursday in Florida before the very judge who signed the warrant. And uh, that judge is uh, pretty much indicated that uh, there is a presumption in favor of a release of some information, but he now is asking the government to decide what they want left out what they want redacted the government of course doesn't want any of this out uh, but the public certainly has the right to know some of this information and donald trump the subject of the actual search warrant uh in a, a stunning move said hey i'd like the affidavit to be released completely and it's very rare that someone against whom a search warrant has been issued would come out and say i want to know the basis for that search warrant and uh, as a judge myself who's uh, approved and signed many search warrants what happens is someone from law enforcement comes in they swear in an affidavit which is a sworn statement under penalty of perjury they say we believe that there's a crime that could is being committed and we need the ability to go in and and uh, search for evidence of that crime. This judge uh, made a decision to sign the warrant, and uh, they they feds went in, guns are blazing, and of course they've leaked information that this may have something to do with the Espionage Act, which is uh, pretty outrageous uh, given the fact that that's one of the most outrageous crimes that uh, you could charge someone with. Um, and the truth is that now it's a pending issue. We still have to wait to see whether or not that magistrate, Judge Bruce Reinhardt, uh, will, how much of that affidavit he will release uh, and how much will be unsealed. So that's something that's still pending. It's going to go into next week. And by the way, folks, if the judge decides that this, that, and the other thing will be released in that underlying affidavit, the government can still appeal, and then it'll be sealed for an even longer period of time. 
So, in addition to that this week, the CDC has come out and said, gee, we did a bad job during the pandemic. We're not as good as we should be, and we're going to change things. Now, has anyone been fired? No. Has anyone had been fined or has anyone been put in a position where they're in any way punished for their rotten job that they did? Absolutely not. The CDC will just go on doing what it did. And I got to tell you, folks, like most Americans, I thought the CDC was out of their mind. The CDC, you know, telling us we got to lock down, we got to stay in our homes where we later find out that, you know, we're getting COVID from other people in our homes. And, you know, so we had the CDC. CDC, the World Health Organization, and uh, Dr. Fauci, all three of them telling us what to do. And in the end, uh, they're saying, gee, we didn't do as good a job as we should have done. And so we're going to we're going to, you know, re up and change things around a little bit so we can get your confidence into uh, uh, our organization, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and their, their reset is going to make that organization quicker at responding to new health threats amid the criticism, the overwhelming criticism uh, of its response to the COVID-19 pandemic. So on the show today, we're going to have uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz talking about that Trump affidavit and what should be released. And we're going to have Dr. Nicole Sapphire talking about the C. CDC, the mistakes that they made, and the fact that uh, Americans listened to them. Many of them lost their businesses, have not been able to go back uh, to their business because the CDC was inept, incompetent, and didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And that big government organization listening to the World Health Organization, where the leader was put it there by China when China played such a big role in the COVID pandemic, uh, is kind of frightening. Look, folks, you don't need to hear it from me, but uh, there was a lot going on that if we peel back the layers of the onion, uh, it was not good for the average American. And uh, finally, we've still got the war going on between Mayor Eric Adams in New York City and Governor Greg Abbott in Texas. Good for the governor of Texas. He's sending in busloads into New York City. It's about time the liberals on the left, they have these sanctuary cities. Well, you got a sanctuary city, Mayor Adams? Be a sanctuary city. Welcome Welcome the illegals coming across the border. The southern border has been overrun by illegals, and these poor border towns in Texas shouldn't be required to uh, support every illegal that comes across. You're the big mayor of the big city. Stop moaning about it. Take it up with your president, Joe Biden. And that's my opening statement here on the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. Judge Janine here to let you know I am proudly supporting the Tunnel to Towers 5K Walk Run New York City again this year, which is on Sunday, September 25th, and I need your help. Help us remember those lost on 9-11 as we retrace FDNY firefighter Stephen Siller's final footsteps together. It's simple to support my team this year in the Tunnel to Towers 5K Walk Run. Here's what you do. Go to walk dot judge dot show.com and donate to my team i'm trying to raise the most money here on the red apple audio network thank you for your support as together we support america's heroes with one of the largest 5k walk runs in new york city go to walk dot judge dot show.com and donate today 
This is the Judge Janine Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Puro. Welcome back to the Judge Janine Tunnels and Towers Foundation Show. Joining us now is a Fox News contributor, attorney, and author. He has another book, a new book. It's called The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. And it's available everywhere books are sold. Please join me in welcoming Alan Dershowitz to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Good morning, Professor. I must tell you, uh, you have written many books. Uh, I don't know when you have time to do them, but uh, I am looking forward to reading this. This book. What is this book about? Well, first is my 50th book. And the reason I write so many books is I have a lot of time now because I've been canceled by all my <laughs> friends for having represented President Trump in front of the United States Senate. I can't talk in my local library. I can't talk in my local synagogue. I can't. Uh, I, I got invited to, to no events this summer on Martha's Vineyard. I got invited to one event and then I got an email back saying, sorry, we have to disinvite you. Because a lot of people said if you showed up, they would leave or wouldn't show up. And we didn't want that to happen. Professor, the amazing part of what you're saying is that every one of us on the right, the so-called right, and you don't even have to be on the right, have been canceled from the day Donald Trump was elected president. We were unfriended, defriended, and, and, and ignored, and then out and now canceled. I mean, the left has acted not just childish, but childlessly, uh, but viciously in terms of how they're handling their 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 former friends. But let's get well, right you, into it. Let, let, let me give you one other example before we get into that. Yeah. So I was invited to a dinner party and seated next to Caroline Kennedy, who's now the U.S. ambassador to Australia. Her father was the president who wrote Profiles in Courage. And she said yes. to me, if I knew you had been invited, I would never have come saying basically that she would never be in the same room with me. This is a woman who has to negotiate with the head of China, the head of North Korea, but she can't be in the same room with somebody she's invited to dinner before in her house who has represented the president of the United States in front of the Senate. You know, Professor, that is stunning. But it goes to show you that the left is about an ideology, and the ideology is you're either with us, and if you're not with us, And you are the enemy and we will cancel you. I've never seen anything like it. I'm sorry for what you're going through. But you know what? Many of us, most of us on the right have been through the same thing. Uh, You know, in New York City, I mean, I can walk down the street and I won't even begin to tell you what happens. But you know what? It's still America. But let's talk about this, this search warrant that was issued by a magistrate to search the premises of the former president of the United States, the first time it's ever happened. Now, it was in the news last week, but it continues to be in the news this week because there was a hearing in Florida on Thursday of this week uh, with a request by news organizations to release the underlying affidavit. The magistrate, called uh, so-called judge, uh, has not yet made a decision. Do you think the affidavit should be released, and what do you think about the magistrate? Well, first, I wrote an article in Newsweek magazine on the morning of the hearing saying what the judge should do is release it with necessary redactions to protect the investigation and the identity, perhaps, of confidential witnesses. You you are a former prosecutor. You know how important that is. But a balance has to be struck. And Judge Reinhardt, judge Reinhardt did exactly that. He followed my playbook almost word for word. He said the presumption has to be in favor of releasing things that are in the public interest, but 
I want to give the government a chance to come in and show what should be redacted. And so uh, in a few days, the government will have to come in. It will probably come in and blank everything out. Mm -hmm. And then Judge Reinhart will have to decide what stays in, what goes out. Now, the kicker here is that if he doesn't accept the government's redactions, the government can appeal. And that may delay the release of the affidavit, even the unredacted part of the affidavit, for a while. I suspect that if they do appeal, they'll still release those parts of the affidavit which the government agrees to have released, and then the appeal will focus on the items that are in dispute. You know, what's interesting is that if there is an agreement as to what should be released, I mean, so there there is some fundamental agreement that some of it does need to be released. But sure. what do you think the government is willing to release? Information that is what? Oh, I think the government will push for the release of information that's very negative about about uh, Trump, about, you know, classified material and maybe his intention. And they'll probably withhold anything that's favorable to him. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, after all, an adversary process. Now, the government should act differently. They're not just adversaries. They're supposed to be interested in justice and the truth. But I think they will be very selective in what they want released. And then that will go perhaps to further litigation. I'm not sure, but at least the principle has now been established. It's an important principle. And whatever else you might say about Judge Reinhardt, you've got to give him credit because he went against what almost everybody, everybody in CNN mm -hmm. said, he's just going to cover up everything. He's not going to mm -hmm. release anything. That's the right thing to do. He had the courage of his convictions to at least say in principle, it should be released. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt wait to see what he does, and then we can sit in judgment over him. We have a right to sit in judgment over judges, even former judges like you. <laughs> Absolutely. I, in fact, I think it's a good thing. I think that no yeah. one is above the law, even judges. But the, the, no one's the, above the, the media either. Yeah. The, well, isn't that the truth? But, you know, I thought initially that the judge would not be willing to release anything, given yeah. the fact that he made the decision to issue a search warrant uh, based upon probable cause, which suggests that they're looking into a crime. Now, it's, right. it can't just be the National Archive records uh, no. if they're because that statute is not a criminal statute so what do you think they're talking about if the president and what he's saying is true and that is that they were there in June negotiating and the, he says that the government indicated look double padlock this area what do you think they're looking for what do you think they think Donald Trump is doing well they mention among the other things in the search warrant is the worst statute passed probably in the 20th century, mm -hmm. the Espionage Act of 1917, um, after the Alien and Sedition Acts, maybe the worst civil liberty statute ever passed, uh, which under which lots of dissidents have been prosecuted. You know, Daniel Ellsberg, Dr. Spock, mm -hmm. uh, Eugene V. Debs, and the ACLU and civil libertarians in general, people like me, have railed against this statute for years, saying it's too broad, it's unconstitutional. Now the left, which hated this statute, when it was applied to their people, is applauding the statute. They want to expand it. They want to use it to get Trump because we live in an age where the hard left has one rule, get Trump. Getting Trump trumps the Constitution, trumps civil liberties, trumps the rule of law, trumps equality, trumps free speech. As long as you can get Trump. Look at one of my colleagues, Larry Tribe, Lawrence Tribe. Right. He went on television and said that he's trying to persuade his former student, Merrick Garland, to prosecute President Trump 
for the attempted murder of of Vice President Pence. Now, you and I both know what the law of attempt is. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. This guy Tribe has lost all credibility. I don't even know why he continues to to uh, to argue things that a second grader could gainsay. But the in the end, what we've got here is, and let's kind of veer from the legal professor. Let's talk about how that you believe. And look, you've been in the public eye for a long time. How do you think the public is reacting? I mean, we went from Russia collusion. Now we're talking espionage. Um, I mean, it, it has been six years of trying to bring this man down. No one has been able yeah. to say he's done anything. Yeah, no, I think the public will react very negatively if all that they come up with is some classification mishandling of the kind that Hillary Clinton and <laughs> Sandy Berger did. Uh, mm-hmm. If they have to come up with a smoking gun, uh, a la Richard Nixon. And the reason Nixon was forced out of office was because Republicans, Republicans said what he did was unacceptable. It didn't divide the country. It united the country to get rid of Nixon. This is so different. This is a situation where if they do indict him for classification issues, the country will be torn apart, divided down the middle, and it will be a terrible, terrible thing. So I hope and I think that Merrick Garland, who, unlike many people on the right, I think is a decent man. I supported him for the Supreme Court. I think he will do the right thing. But if he does the wrong thing, I'm coming. <laughs> Believe me, I'm going to be very critical. Of him. You know, but the amazing part of this, when you think about it, Professor Dershowitz, is that when when Merrick Garland first got this, uh, you know, request or was notified that they were looking into getting a search warrant, which has never been done in the history of this country against a former president of the United States, it took him several weeks to make that decision. And all of a sudden, it's it's an exigent circumstance. They have to get in there at six in the morning and they, you know, they can't do it with a court ordered subpoena. They, they, they have to go in there guns a blazing and don't tell yeah. me there were no guns a blazing. I mean, that's what the left is saying. Oh no, well, they're right in front of Mar-a-Lago with long guns. Yeah. No, it's absurd to think there was an exigent circumstance because even after they got the search warrant, they went home to their family for the weekend, spent a nice, quiet, leisurely weekend and then went in, uh, a, f- a few days later, if this right. were really national security, they'd have been in the hour they got the search warrant. Uh, so I don't believe that for a second, but I think the affidavit will disclose it. Now, they do say that there were surveillance cameras and the surveillance cameras, which were subpoenaed, did capture something that showed it was exigent. But what we need is a timeline. When did mm-hmm. the surveillance cameras do this? Why didn't they then enforce the subpoena? You right. know, as a judge, you can walk go over to a judge and say, we have a subpoena. The other side's not cooperating. Please mm-hmm. enforce it. Make them bring the material in tomorrow. And right. then you can go through it and see if there's anything that's privileged, if, there's any, if he wants to invoke uh, executive privilege or the Fifth Amendment or whatever. But that's not what they did. You know, it's all about the narrative. And whoever controls the narrative basically controls you know, the uh, the election. And that's that's what they're doing. They're creating a narrative here where they could have done things so much differently, but they make it seem as though this man is, is a danger to the United States of America. Let, the, let's narrative just, isn't, the narrative isn't really working because, you know, I don't believe it's working. Warrant, after I, the FISA warrant, there's great distrust in these kinds of affidavits. And so that's why 
Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Let's see the affidavit, as much of it as we possibly can. Let's see how they justify going into his locked safe, into his wife's clothes closet. Let's see if they say it's plain view. As you know, the FBI has yes. enormous peripheral vision when it comes to plain view. <laughs> they can see anything, anywhere. They can so see through walls. The they can see through all kinds of things. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Alan Dershowitz, again, writer of the book called The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. Thank you very much, Alan Dershowitz, for joining us pleasure. on the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers show. Never forget, join the Tunnel to Towers Foundation on its mission to do good in honor of America's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. This is the Judge Janine Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Bureau. Welcome back to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. Joining us now is an American radiologist and the director of breast imaging at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Nicole Sapphire to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Uh, Dr. Sapphire and I, uh, doctor, before I get to the questions, I just want to mention this. She has the, she has written several books. One is Make America Healthy Again. And her new book is called Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19 and it's available everywhere books are sold now that is it's important that I mention that Dr. Sapphire because what I want to talk to you about this morning has to do with playing politics with science and the fight against COVID-19 so you are the perfect guest how are you today (laughs) I'm wonderful judge thanks so much for having me on all right we love having you on now this week Dr. Sapphire the CDC director uh basically did a mea copa Uh, It doesn't seem like anybody's been fired or that there's been anything other than a, quote, reset of the CDC that will focus on making the organization quicker at responding to new health threats amid criticism of their response to COVID-19. First of all, what do you think caused this? Well, Judge, at this point, I mean, first of all, nothing new has come out in the last couple of weeks that has caused this declaration from the CDC. It's just that it has become so obvious, their failures, that they have to acknowledge it or else the, they will lose complete loss of public trust in our public health entities. And to be honest, they already have a lot, um, but it'll go even further. And here's the problem I have, Judge. The CDC has a nearly $10 billion annual budget. But during COVID, instead of focusing on putting forth reliable trials to test the effectiveness of those mitigation measures like masking and natural immunity, they catered to political pressure. With three of the most blatant examples being, remember, the discovered emails between Teachers Union President Randy Weingarten and the CDC? What about Mm -hmm. the fact that you had two top officials at the FDA resign because of the way the White House and the CDC handled the boosters? And let's not forget, Dr. Walensky, before she was CDC director in a discovered email to her local public school district, said, you don't really need to do six feet. You only need to do three feet. But as soon as she got appointed by President Biden, she was on that bandwagon. Oh, you have to do six feet. And because of that, schools closed and kids kept out of in-person learning. So, you know, she said that they didn't, they did too little. They weren't able to reach enough people, but that's not true. It was their unsubstantiated recommendations were taken as the Holy Grail at the state and local 
levels and that they have run with. And now even some schools and other places are finding it difficult to roll back the ridiculous recommendations that were put forth by the CDC. And one of the biggest issues I'm still having is the CDC is not speaking out against it. So here's the issue, Judge. You have Dr. Walensky, director of CDC, came out and said, all right, we are going to make some changes. We're going to modernize the CDC. We're going to do better. But you know what? Change comes from the top down. And the biggest thing the CDC could do is to untangle itself from the political stronghold that it has. The CDC director should not be appointed by the president. Rather, the leader of our public health institution should be elected based on experience, expertise, and the ability to form the job. That's a very interesting point, doctor. I'm going to interrupt you right there. It's very interesting because if the head of the CDC is appointed, then they are going to carry the political agenda of the president. And the political agenda of the left versus the right is so totally different that, um, you know, and that was a problem, I think, with, uh, uh, you know, with the CDC and the schools, the schools that were reluctant to reopen and, you know, that had all of this COVID money and that were then involved in getting the CDC to draft guidelines. Um, it, I mean, the politics of it just stinks. And I don't quite understand how, you know, we Americans tolerated it. Like this Dr. Fauci, this guy in particular, and I'm going to segue a bit, Dr. Sapphire, uh, for a second. I mean, this is a guy who has interest in, in, in drugs in pharmaceutical companies, while he is a director of, you know, infectious diseases or whatever his agency is called, and he makes more money than anyone in government. I mean, he has a financial incentive. People have political incentives. We've lost faith in our government because of this. You know, Judge, you're absolutely right. And myself, I work in an academic institution. I put out research. I speak at conferences and research seminars. And every time I do that, the first slide, well, I have my title slide, but then my second slide is a financial disclosures. And that is so hammered into academics who are doing research that it has to be clear that we do not have any financial incentives that are tied to the research that we are doing. Why is that not the same for our government scientists and doctors alike? That Mm -hmm. is extremely frustrating. And as I wrote in my book, politics are way too influential when it comes to our public health entities. And it shouldn't have mattered whether you lived in a red state or a blue state, whether your kids were able to go to school, whether your college students had to get a booster or whatnot. It was it's completely asinine. And when you actually look at the data, there was not there was not significant changes between those that had the mass mandates, the vaccine mandates, the case numbers, hospitalizations numbers were all similar. So it didn't matter red or blue. We all needed to, and unfortunately, people suffered because of it. Well, let's talk about the uh, the World Health Organization. Now, the CDC, do they now, Dr. Sapphire, take uh, information or follow the lead of the World Health Organization? And if that's true, talk about the mess that that is. Well, no, they don't. And let's remember, the World Health Organization is not an independent entity on itself. Do you remember the intimate ties between that and the Chinese Communist Party at the beginning of the pandemic? So there isn't actually a pure public health entity at this point. It's just become blatantly obvious. However, 
the CDC picks and chooses what they want to do when it comes to supporting the World Health Organization. But unfortunately, the big thing that the WHO has gotten correct, that our CDC is the essentially the lone, the lone country that implements masking on two-year-olds. Can you believe that? We have it's CDC crazy. data showing probably over 90% of kids have been infected with SARS-CoV-2. And we have data showing once infected, you have a level of protection from your natural immunity. But yet they're making two-year-olds the lowest risk wear masks to go to preschool. We have evidence that it is negative to their physical, emotional, and developmental health, yet the CDC is doubling down. The first thing Walensky can do is to remove mask and vaccine mandates if she wants to regain a monicum of trust. Let me ask you this, Dr. Sapphire. So are all of the schools in the country, if they follow the CDC guidelines, uh, tell me, uh, are what age are these kids required to wear a mask? So the CDC, they, they are perfect in their hedging. They say, this is what we recommend. And unfortunately, you have a lot of people just like going and running with that. And so what the recommendation is, if you are in an area with a high transmission level, which uh, newsflash, most of the country is in their quote unquote high transmission level, but our hospitalizations are deaths are exceedingly low, similar to flu levels. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter because we're just testing like crazy. Um, But so what they're saying is anyone ages two and up when in an indoor setting, including schools, should wear face masks. Who are they protecting? Doctor, who are they protecting? Well, that's the problem. It should be risk-based. People who are high risk, um, immunocompromised, they should be wearing quality, well-fitted masks. They should have been doing that before COVID. They know their risk. The two-year-olds wearing these loose-fitting cloth masks, and they're not even wearing appropriately, that's doing nothing except harming that toddler. Well, well, how about the teacher wear the mask? If the teacher's so worried, put a mask on the teacher. Undoubtedly. Anyone who wants to wear a mask should have access to and be able to wear a mask, but it should not be enforced and it certainly shouldn't be universally recommended. All right. So let's talk about, let's talk about the, the, the children. Now they're talking about uh, vaccinating any, any child two years old and up, or is it six months and up? Well, it is now, it has been approved for six months and up and You know, I can tell you that when it comes to all of our kids, only about 6% of parents have gone out and vaccinated their children. And, you know, some of that is because of a lack of trust in the CDC. But I think people have gotten smart. Americans are smart. They see what's happening right now. They see that this virus has gotten less severe as time's gone on. They also know most of those kids have probably already had COVID and probably did just fine. Now, are there children who are at higher risk for severe symptoms from COVID? Absolutely. And those, I am certain those parents have talked to their pediatrician and made the appropriate decision for their family. But it to, uh, you know, I wrote a piece with uh, my friend and colleague, Dr. Marty McCary, last year in the Wall Street Journal when they recommended vaccinating five-year-olds and up. And we Mm -hmm. essentially said, listen, the risk in this population is exceedingly low. From COVID. And so it shouldn't be a blanket recommendation and it should really just be an individual choice between parents, pediatricians. But I will tell you one thing, Judge, I have seen something appalling throughout the course of this, pe- this 
pandemic. I have seen pediatrician offices refusing to see kids if they didn't get the COVID vaccine. I find this to be an unethical, anti-Hippocratic oath way of discriminating against children. And I think that they should lose their license. Doctor, I have never heard that, Dr. Sapphire. That is crazy. What if a parent doesn't feel that that their child needs it or if the child has the antibody? Well, Judge, I can tell you my pediatrician's office did that. And my kids, the, the week that the vaccine became available for their age, they got COVID. So I'm like, <laughs> well, they don't need a vaccine right now. So, yep. and this was even before Omicron, and the pediatrician's office said, we will not see your children unless you can show us proof of vaccination. I'm like, all right, well, guess what? Free market. So happy I live in America. We'll be yeah. going elsewhere. Well, I got to tell you, Dr. Sapphire, yeah, I've always been impressed with you. I'm impressed with the uh, with the hospital that you're affiliated with, Sloan Kettering. As you know, it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, but I also am impressed with the fact that you are such a straight shooter. Uh, her book is called uh, Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19. Uh, you know, as school starts ramping up, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, Dr. Sapphire, the one thing I don't want to here is teachers saying that they're not ready to go back uh and you know now of course there there are teachers uh, who are saying you know that we don't want to teach anymore we want more money we make 20 percent less than everybody else forget the fact that they work 20 percent less than most other yeah, people well, with the same say, education can i get a, I get a summer off <laughs> yeah I, and, and every holiday you know i mean it, when i was da i mean crime was rampant and now that we're in the news i mean it, it, you don't take the news doesn't take a holiday and neither does crime and dr sapphire neither does a medical doctor dr sapphire thanks so much for being with us today continue to do the great work that you always do take care all right on 9-11, we vowed to never forget. Help America keep that promise. Donate $11 a month to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Up here next on the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show, I will gavel out with my closing argument. It's all coming up here on the Red Apple Audio Network. This is the Judge Janine Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Puro. Okay, welcome back to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Now it's time for me to gavel out with my closing argument. All right, so they're still arguing about that search warrant. The search warrant that was signed by a judge that allowed the feds to go and execute a search warrant at the home of a former president of the United States. The first time it's ever been done in the history of this nation. No one has yet answered the question. Why did they not use a subpoena? A court-ordered subpoena. Why was a search warrant necessary? Well... As someone who's signed in a search warrants myself, I would say it must have been an exigent circumstance. They must have needed to do it immediately. After all, they showed up at the crack of dawn with long guns. Well, if it was such an emergency, why did Merrick Garland take several weeks to make a decision if it was an emergency before he approved it? And if it was such an emergency... Please tell me why, once the order was signed by that magistrate, Bruce Reinhardt, 
why the feds kept the warrant over the weekend for three days before they decided to go in and execute it. It wasn't an emergency, folks. They wanted to do it on a Monday. Monday is a great news day. This is a joke. This whole thing is a joke. And now what they're trying to do is they're trying to say that the Espionage uh, Act is involved. You know what? The National Archives uh, uh, Records Act is not a criminal act that requires a, uh, a search warrant for enforcement. They're making up things as they go along. Maybe there's something there. We'll only know if we get to look at the search warrant. And I'll tell you, folks, in 32 years, I've never heard of the person against whom a search warrant has been issued saying, show it all. Let them see it all. You should be asking yourselves, why and why now? So a 52-year-old man is walking along with a backpack, enjoying the day. All of a sudden, a dirt bag comes out and sucker punches him. The 52-year-old victim is now in a coma. The 52-year-old victim suffered a brain bleed, a fractured skull, and the offender, a level three sex offender who's been arrested over and over and over again. And guess what? The progressive DA makes a decision in the Bronx to lower it to a misdemeanor. That means the victim in a coma who had surgery, a brain bleed, a fractured skull, he now is suffering for the rest of his life and the dirtbag level three sex offender is walking the streets because they released him. They released him to go out and do it again, folks. Is this America? Is this what we pay our taxes for? Is this what we've come down to? A country where the criminals are allowed to roam free and victimize us? I've had enough. Have you? You know, folks, I've been thinking. I've been thinking about the fact that we are not getting the protection that we need, that we deserve, and that we pay for through our taxes. What am I talking about? I'm talking about police. I'm talking about the fact that every day in America, across this country, we see crime out of control. I don't care if it's on the West Coast, in Los Angeles, on the East Coast, in New York City, in Chicago, in small town America, it doesn't matter. The truth is that crime is out of control. And these know-nothings who made a decision to defund the police, these leftist progressives, they're not progressives, they're regressives. These are people who know nothing about crime. They know nothing about criminal behavior. They know nothing about law enforcement. All they know is that they hate cops. They don't know why they hate cops other than they think they're serial uh, uh, racist murderers, which is so far from the truth, so far from what the facts are. And yet they want to defund police. And I could show you time and again where the people who are defunding them are using money to make sure that they're protected by the cops while you and I have to try to protect ourselves. And now we're finding out 911 can't even respond unless it's a real serious offense. And then you got to hope they get there in time.
Now, a couple of examples this week in New York City, a uh, uh, a bunch of thugs came out and, against some people who were literally sitting outside drinking coffee in Queens in New York City, and they did it across the street from a city councilwoman who ordered and voted for defunding the police, a major supporter of defund the police right across the street from her are, are thugs with extended uh, mags and clips and holding up people and stealing stuff. All right. No one's been arrested. No one's going to be arrested. And then we've got an individual who sucker punched another person. He is now in a coma. I want you to follow me here. He's in a coma. He's got a brain bleed. He's got a fractured skull. It was an unprovoked sucker punch by a level three sex offender. The DA, who's a progressive leftist DA, reduced the crime to a misdemeanor. And now the thug who punched him for no reason, and he's a coward because it's a sucker punch, is out on bail. Look, folks. If there's anything you've got to do in the midterms, you've got to make sure that people go out and vote for law enforcement focused candidates, whether it's for DA, whether it's for sheriff, whether it's for Congress, mayor, county legislator, I don't care what you call it, whether it's for local judge, we've got to have bail reinstated. These people, and it, there was one this week, 41 arrests. He's out on the street. These people are victimizing innocent Americans. We've got people who are roaming the streets, sucker punching other people who are let out to do it again. We can't live like this. It's time to take America back. It is time to make sure that our taxpayer dollars are being used for the protection of American citizens. The purpose of government, the number one purpose of government is to protect the citizens. And they are not doing it. And you know it and I know it. And the only way to change that, don't listen to this talk the talk. Oh, we got to stop it. No, that's not enough. What are you going to do to stop it? Are you going to go to your legislature? Are you going to change the law that allows offenders to go out and reoffend? Or are you going to reinstate the bail laws? That's what's going on here, folks. Everybody's let out. They're let out before the cops finish their paperwork. I'm fed up with it, and you should be fed up with it, too. We're not here to be sitting ducks for, for defendants, and I don't care if they have a mental health problem or they don't have a mental health problem. If they're a criminal, they belong behind bars. And if they're a danger to the community, they belong behind gar bars until they're convicted. And that's my closing argument. Make sure you join me right back here next week. Same time, same place for the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Stay safe. Make them accountable. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.